Hello and welcome to Pop Cultural Osmosis. I'm Kyle Diaz. And I'm Ryan Harrington. And uh, today we're doing least favorite, and our category is least favorite movie that we used to love. And uh, Ryan, why don't you go first? I'm curious to hear what you have to say for this one. Um, so I'm not sure how much I actually loved this film when I first got it, or how much I actually hate it now, but um, I did end up buying it on DVD, and I have back in when it came out, and I have no interest in watching it again, which is uh, I Heart Huckabees. Have you ever transcended space and time? Uh, time, not space. No, I don't know what you're talking about. Everything is connected and everything matters. Now, isn't that cool? Human drama is inevitable. Suffering cannot be diminished. How am I not myself? How am I not myself? Myself. She came out in, I think, 2004, right at the height of when Jude Law was in pretty much every movie that was coming out. (laughs) And so it's like this sort of weird philosophical existentialist movie about like this guy Jason Schwartzman trying to stop a a Walmart-esque corporation coming to town they're like existential detectives Dustin Hoffman and Lily Tomlin and it's it's really kind of weird I don't know um looking back it it seems like it's um maybe pretentious or like faux erudite mm-hmm. and so I feel like it appeals to high schoolers who are just discovering that sort of thing and it, it seems a lot deeper than it actually is um, and I, I don't think it was a well acted film, the cast is great I just, I don't think that it would hold up if I watched it again. And again, I haven't seen it in quite a while, so maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe it's super awesome again. Yeah, it's it's, but it's never a good, uh, never a good sign when you buy a movie on DVD and then realize years later that you like never took it even out of the shrink wrap or something. Yeah, like you thought you were going to be super into watching this over and over again, uh, but uh, you know it, it didn't turn out that way. I, I've never seen the film. I, for years, I thought it was a Wes Anderson film. I just assumed because it was quirky looking and had Jason Schwartzman in it. Um, no, it's by. Uh, but it's actually it's actually David O. Russell who is back yeah. in vogue again after being kind of uh, out of the spotlight for a little while because of uh, Silver, Silver Linings, Linings Playbook. Yeah. Maybe I should go back and watch I Heart Huckabees. <laughs> I just uh, I just I feel like now if I put it in, I'm going to sit there and just be like, uh huh, uh huh. <laughs> Similar to how like I feel like I would watch Garden State now, like mm-hmm. where before I felt everything. Like there was meaning behind everything, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting that your pick is so comparatively recent. Um, I have always been a, a, a someone who's like constantly re-evaluating my tastes, and I really, I've, I've decided that I just don't trust my opinion on anything that I saw before I was about 16 years old. Um, cause I'm just really bad. I'm just really bad at, at, uh, when I was a kid, especially, I feel like I was really bad at knowing what was good and what was bad. So some people aren't like this. Like I, I, I get the feeling, Ryan, that you're somewhat like this, where you, the things that you really, really, really enjoyed, even as a relatively small child, you still really, really enjoy. Oh, um, definitely. Which yeah. is why this was kind of hard for me. Yeah. And I am not like that at all. Like for me, I, a lot of my, uh, pop culture like treasure chest is like a really embarrassing and i would rather not let it out there into the world um so there are lots and lots and lots and lots of movies that i could pick for movies that i uh used to love and then saw when i was an adult and realized holy shit this movie is really bad (laughs) um and i have kind of two and you need to tell me which one you think is worse and then you, once we know which one is worse, we'll know which one's the real answer. Because I honestly can't decide which of these two films that I really used to love is, is worse. And one is The Phantom. 
with Billy Zane as the uh, purple-suited superhero who, who lives punched. in the Amazon rainforest and has a skull ring. Uh, yeah, he punches people in it. He does punch people, and he has a pet wolf. There are some who say he is only a myth. Soon they will discover the Phantom is real. And the other is Ace Ventura When Nature Calls, which my brother Kevin and I rented and watched, I think, probably 30 to 40 times between 1996 and 2000. So just to be clear, When Nature Calls, the sequel. The sequel, yes. As far as, not- I, as, far as I can remember, we saw the original a couple times, but did not like it as much as the sequel. deepest jungles of Africa, two tribes will fight a savage war unless a sacred animal god is found. So they're sending for the only man who can help. (laughs) The sequel is definitely, um, like, crazier. Mm -hmm. And I think for young kids, it's therefore it's more fun. It's much zanier. I remember there's a scene with, like, a bunch of bats. Yeah. Yeah, there's tons of, uh, bat poop jokes mm-hmm. and apparently i was uh, my parents never watched this movie like i was talking to them about it sometime later in life and they do not remember it existing so i don't know how we got to and from the video store and how we were able to watch this so many times without them ever noticing or realizing um but yeah it is a really really bad movie and i tried to watch it so I could figure out if it was a really bad movie, and I couldn't even get through it. It is a really, really, really bad movie. Actually, I'm sorry. I'm calling it right now. It's worse than The Phantom. The Phantom's at least, like, enjoyable in its shittiness. I have a hard time because I don't think Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls, ever set out to be anything more than it is, Hmm. which is kind of a loose amalgamation of... uh, wacky things that they can make Jim Carrey do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, like, objectively speaking, it's probably a worse film. Like, the plot makes less sense. Mm-hmm. The Phantom is kind of hindered by the fact that it's kind of a more serious film. Yeah. I do think that uh, there is a joke in the beginning of Ace Ventura when Nature Calls that I do still think is funny. And he's, like, studying at some kind of monastery at the very beginning after some kind of traumatic incident. And the monks, like, call him to him and they're like, you know, you have to leave now because you've, like, completed your time at the monastery. And he's like, okay, but there's still one thing I have to do first. And then he's like, he wants to take a slinky all the way down the, like, I don't know. Oh, I do remember that. step up to the <laughs> <Just> watch. <laughs> He's just, like, watching it go down, and then it gets, like, the very last step, and it stops. And he has to start it all over again. And it stops, I, like, yeah, one short, and it's like, uh... It must just be, like, my, like, juvenile sense of humor or whatever, but I still find that scene funny. But the rest of it is just really bad. Also, I think I've... I, I, I didn't realize as a kid that The Phantom was a bad movie. Like, I just thought it was an awesome movie. Um, and so... Uh, I remember I went to the video store at one point to rent it and this is when I experienced like my first like shame over like one of my movie choices because the clerk at the video store was this very kind of comic book uh, guy from the Simpsons-esque dude who like really liked movies and thought maybe he was going to be the next Tarantino because he worked in this video game store or, I mean video uh, rental store uh, and I asked for the movie The Phantom at the counter and the guy was like, oh, you mean Phantoms, which is a, a newer movie with Ben Affleck and, like, I don't know, some other people? And I was like, no, no, Phantom, the, with the purple guy. And he was like, oh. And he just gave me this look, and I was like, oh, I like this movie. <laughs> I think one of the only video store clerk memories I have is when Josh and I went to the video store to rent Seven. Mm-hmm. And the clerk was like, oh, this is an awesome movie. You guys will love it. We're like, okay. And we watched it. And cause we, but we were like 10, 11. So we're like, holy crap. 
<laughs> Why did that adult think this was okay? What, what when really he was terrible, probably like a seventeen-year-old kid. Terrible video store <laughs> clerk would rent two ten-year-olds seven. I feel like that's <laughs> that's just a practical joke at that point. Now let's actually talk about Arrested Development. Okay. So, I mean, you know, I'm kind of shocked. I never would have expected when we started this podcast that at some point we would be discussing Arrested Development Season 4. And so, you know, when you talk about this, it's kind of difficult to separate what actually exists from your expectations of, of what you could hope that that a new season of Arrested Development could be. You know, I think that's a problem that pretty much everybody had going into this series and then kind of similar to when we talked about house of cards there's also the additional angle of the uh delivery mechanism and the kind of all at once binge uh ability of of these uh episodes which they all kind of released at once and so kind of given all that both the fact that we have a new arrested development series and that it arrived to us in this novel and strange way uh i'm curious to see what your impressions were and kind of you know, how fast did you go through it? And like, you know, what did you think of it as you were going through it? Like, what was your kind of takeaway from the whole thing? Overall, um, I'm fine. I was fine with it. I wasn't blown away, but I did end up watching pretty much all of it in, uh, almost one sitting. I think I watched two episodes the first day, Mm -hmm. 10 the next day when I did nothing else pretty much. And then I finished like the last two, and so, yeah, they they weren't bad for the most part, um, but I think it was very uneven. See, wh- so, like, if you had to grade it, like, what grade would you give it? B minus. Okay. okay. I, I think it was, overall, I think it was stronger than the weakest parts of the first three seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I do think, and actually, I didn't even realize this beforehand, but... Um, like so, I guess the movie is not greenlit yet. Oh, so the thing that they kind of built up to over the and that, another yeah, one of the biggest problems with with this is um, everything kind of ties together, but it doesn't it doesn't come to any sort of climax. Yeah, I, I was um, kind of surprised about that. I was expecting in the fifteenth episode for there to be you know, such, sort of they made it such a big deal about the Cinco de Cuatro celebration. But really, that's just kind of the beginning of the mystery, and uh, it turned out to be much more about what has happened to these people in the intervening years than I was expecting. Right. And so, yeah, so they did a very, like, as they always do, they did a very good job of weaving everything and every episode together. Mm-hmm. It just didn't culminate in anything, and that was kind of a letdown. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, so it, it's very clearly like a setup to ostensibly the movie but only i think today i was just reading that i didn't realize that it it's not greenlit yet yeah and i mean i there's no way that it's that it's not going to be at this point i think oh especially if it's produced by netflix or 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 to go on netflix like i think this has been a huge hit for them oh certainly um I, I think I was a, a maybe enjoyed it a little bit more than it sounds like you did. I uh, consumed it in a very similar time frame where I think I watched the first two or three episodes on like Saturday night at like midnight, and then a couple on Sunday, and then a couple and maybe finished it up Monday night or something like that. So maybe maybe a little bit more compressed. Um, Wait, so I I mean I wasn't I wasn't there for like its actual release. So did it release at nine p.m. for you? I don't know. I didn't check uh, until after midnight. I kind of forgot about it till I got into bed. Okay. And I was looking for something to watch on my computer. I was just curious. Yeah. Because, yeah, I didn't bother till the next day anyways. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I when, when I was watching the first couple episodes, I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be a total disaster. Like, the first, like, maybe, uh, maybe even, like, three to four episodes are pretty bad. And then at some point, there started to be this shift where I was like, oh, like jokes are starting to tie together. Um, you know, things are starting to make, you know, callbacks are starting to make more sense. Um, you know, there's just, the number of jokes per minute is just starting to really increase. Um, 
Right. And to the extent to which by the end, I think all of the strongest episodes of this, uh, of this particular season were all at the end. Um, which I, I think is yeah, something that you could only do in this day and age on Netflix. So, like, you know, there's been a lot of debate in the Netflix. People seem to think that, like, this is the way that people will watch TV shows from now on, whereas the old-style model is totally dead and the week-by-week thing is so in the past or whatever. I I would not go that far. I think that, uh, well, Game of Thrones this week, for one, kind of showed the power that... Uh, live TV can have in the in the spark or the the conversation that a weekly release can can spark and sustain, um, and and I think that Netflix loses a little bit of that when uh, you know people aren't talking about House of Cards anymore because it, it's over. Like everybody's who's going to watch it has watched it. it, and uh, you know it lasted about a month. And it's also very hard to talk about things when you've seen eight episodes and someone's seen two mm-hmm, exactly so so you know i think that there is a loss uh with this all at once dumping of uh of content like that i think that there there are things that are lost but there are also things that are gained and i i don't think i think that if they would have released this on a regular on a regular schedule and by week three you would have still not seen an episode that was really any good at all it would have been a train wreck like people would have been howling for mitch hurwitz's head because it would have been such a disaster but because of the way that they released it because you know when you're watching netflix the next one just kind of spools up without you having to do anything um you know enough people were able to kind of push through and Mm -hmm. tell their friends like hey don't stop it gets pretty good um and so you know i think that was really kind of the saving grace i don't think this would have worked in any kind of traditional uh, release schedule um definitely and I, I think i think the two michael episodes might be the weakest me too and they're both right at the beginning they're one and four so if that if that was like the first month of this being out like if all of the talk for that first month was how this is not living up to what it should be it would kill it i thought that the two michael episodes and the two george senior episodes were by far the four worst episodes in the uh in the season and uh i i know that the first george one is number two let's see the second Um, one is six yeah so two and six and tobias's episode and Lindsay's episode which are three and five are both pretty good and then from there it just gets better i really 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 liked the job episodes um and the lucille episode and the maybe episode the maybe episode was really good the maybe episode was probably the best and actually, the Job episodes were also really good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it definitely picks up a lot of steam as it kind of chugs on toward the end of the season. I, I really don't think any of the new recurring characters were any at, at all any good. I've, I think it's really interesting how divided people's opinions on this seem to be. Because, like for example, I thought that Maria Bamford's character of Debris Bardot was incredibly annoying, and I did not like I, her at all. I, I agree. That's why, I, why actually, I thought Tobias's episode wasn't that great. Yeah, but I saw a lot of people online, like critics and fans and stuff like that, who thought that she was really great, and it seemed to have a lot to do with whether you uh, know or are familiar with her comedy and I'm not really except oh. for her occasional appearances on like Louie and stuff like that. So I, maybe that was where the but problem see, came in. I mean, I I, I have watched uh, one or two or three of her stand-up uh, acts, and she's not bad. I just I did not like her character. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, they didn't have really have a chance to introduce that many new characters because they had to find stuff for all the old characters to do. At the same time, I think they introduced too many and didn't. And none of them set. I didn't have a problem with Rebel Ali, although she wasn't, you know, super hilarious. I didn't have a problem with Isla Fisher, but I mean, just I didn't really. Rebel Ali didn't do anything. I did really like uh, the whole uh, entourage that Job gets uh, sucked up into, uh, like with John Beard Jr. and the singer guy. The entourage gag was pretty funny. Yeah, well, and the club that was and by Jeremy Piven. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought Herbert Love was also really funny. 
So uh, you know, but and, and I think that they did a pretty good job of mixing old people into the uh, into the episodes. You know, I mean, there has to be like Barry Zuckercorn, and but I was surprised at how big of a role Anne Veal played, um, and Steve Holt showed up to add, you know, some some kind of pathos to it, which was is always been kind of important to the Arrested Development like mix and stuff like that. Right. It was it was crazy seeing Steve Holt. I know he looks. I, I think they must have made him look even more old and different than he actually looks because it was shocking. Um, is yeah, it was very shocking. <laughs> so you know, overall, I think it it worked for me. I really by the end was really enjoying them and kind of looking forward to rewatching them and finding all the places where the jokes. And it's true that after you've seen them, those first four episodes do make uh, a lot more sense. Um, that being said, uh, I think that it's possible that they bit off a bit more than they can chew because I do have some pretty serious uh, reservations. Um, I don't. I think it's just not okay to have a TV show where you intentionally write a couple of episodes that are not enjoyable. Like I, I, I mean, it's not okay. That's a strange way to put it, but I think it's not a good idea because almost everybody that I know like was not that enthused after having watched the first one or two episodes and that's not a good place uh for you to be in i also think that all of the episodes and even the ones that i really liked were way too long um Mm. they these episodes you know the original ones they were so fast everything happened so fast and they were so tightly edited and there was a joke like every 10 seconds and it just kept coming and kept coming kept coming kept coming these varied in length between i think 28 and almost 40 minutes yeah um and it was uh too long sometimes it really started to drag so that yeah that's almost that's almost the length of uh two episodes two episodes put together yeah on broadcast yeah so um you know I, i think that that is a problem and i also think that um uh you know the I don't know. It's kind of tough because you, 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 so much of this comes from just the plain logistical hurdles involved with getting all these people back together. And so, you know, they had to do the kind of character at a time thing that, uh, arrested development, you know, is not typically known for. Right. Keeping Um, people kind of separate. And I think that, yeah. Yeah. And given that they had to do that, it worked remarkably well, but it's also not, like Arrested Development used to be. Arrested Development used to be all of them like hanging out together and bouncing off of one another, yeah. and here it was too often them bouncing off of other more available guest stars. So, like, Tobias, instead of bouncing off of Lindsay the whole time, he's mostly bouncing off of uh, Debris, and Lindsay's mostly bouncing off of uh, Marky Bark, and, you know, Michael's mostly bouncing off of Ron Howard and Job with, you know... Uh, the, the entourage and stuff like that. It's just like, you know, it, it's... Uh, it, the pairings aren't as much fun because they're not the same characters that we know and love. Um, so it, it causes some it causes some problems. And it, overall, like, you know, like I said, I think it worked for me and I'm kind of shocked at how well it worked given, first of all, how difficult it is to pull off uh, something like this in the first place, to have a kind of... Uh, 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 a reunion that actually works and that people don't just hate um, and uh, at the same time tell a story that kind of weaves together and has all these callbacks and stuff like that but I don't know if it works quite as well as they thought it did and I don't know that it works quite as well as the original uh, seasons um, right um, and again also I'll be really interested to see how the movie builds on this because, yeah. um, and I think a lot of the problem with uh, the early episodes, especially, is like Michael was never as good of a person as you kind of first assume he is from the beginning of the series. But in he, this season, I think he's much worse. He he was only ever normal in the context of the Bluths, not in the context of like normal people. Right, but um, I mean, but at the beginning of this season, he is like a truly horrible person. But he, I mean, he's kind of you're right. He's kind of always been that way. 
he always hears what he wants to hear, especially from George Michael. Um, right. You know, he always kind of, uh, he's always kind of, uh, you know, talking past, um, past people and, 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 uh, over the top of them, even as he's like purporting to be the like nice one. But at the same time, he is a like really despicable and annoying in that first episode, especially. Yeah, this season, like he, they just took him just that much further. Yeah. Um, and so I think I think that's a, a big part of why people had a hard time swallowing the beginning of this series. Yeah, and I I also thought it was really weird. How they the how they made George Senior like a crossdresser by the end? Yeah, that was one of those. That was one of the. Uh, so that's one of those things. Like, there's no payoff there. No, so I, I have to wait for the movie to see where this joke is going. I mean the uh, the explanation that I've seen online, which I think is probably pretty uh, spot on, is that the maca route they mentioned a couple times that the maca route is downwind from the or downstream from the porta potty. Mm-hmm. And then also that it has a lot of estrogen in it. They say that at one point, and maybe they've all been eating the maca root, but then Oscar has been going and sweating it out in the... Uh, the tent? The tent, oh. and George Sr. has not. But you're right, there's, like, no explanation given, and there's no explanation of who killed or, you know... No, I mean, yeah, I understood, like, the whole maca root joke. I just, like... So, but that, that, that was pretty much the end of George Sr.'s plotline is... Oh, now I like wearing a wig. Yeah, he's just kind of wandering around at the end it, of the show. It just, it, it, like, I feel like that joke needs to mean something. Yeah. Yeah. There needs, yeah, I don't know. I also found the timeline really confusing. Um. Oh, yeah, I did too. Like, I mean, it, it. I knew that it was supposed to hop around a bit, but I didn't realize for a little while just how much we're talking about like how much time was passing between things like it seems to me thinking back on it that like it's possible job was stuck in that roofie circle for like a year like a seriously long time yeah that he's yeah. hanging out with those with the with the entourage and stuff um and so like it, it none of that stuff really made sense in the uh in the moment and i kind of I mean, I kind of question the whole premise to some extent. Like, if we would have just met up with these characters later and learned the broad strokes of what they'd been up to, like, would it have... uh, Would we have been confused? No. So then you think, like, they must have been really, 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 really attached to the storylines of what was happening during that time, but they don't seem particularly attached to some of the storylines because they just kind of shorten them or they rely on Ron Howard to do the work of getting us to where we need to be. So, you know, it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty mixed bag, and some of them work really well. Like, uh, Lindsay and Tobias's trip to India and then their subsequent buying of that huge house, <laughs> that all works great. And the scene where they're both wandering around in the house trying to find one another... And they can't find each other because they've accidentally purchased this huge house. is hilarious and amazing. But then I didn't really care at all about any of the stuff with Debris or Marky Bark. So mm-hmm. it's like I only really cared about half of what they were up to during the time that they were gone. So, I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, uh, I, I, they, they crammed a lot in there and it seemed like some of it they weren't particularly attached to. Like it doesn't really seem like the Michael movie thing at imagine really went anywhere either right because like he spends like years of his life trying to get all these signatures it seems like but then the whole project just falls apart because as he gets yeah i don't know i don't know i know and the thing is that the plots were never really the point of the original series it was always just trying to you know maneuver the people into the place where they could do the funny thing and so i'm willing to give them a pass on the plot except that it really seems like they want to be they wanted us to spend a lot of time working out and focusing on the plot right so it's a little bit of a it's a little bit confusing and again i think unfortunately i i, I have to wait for the movie to see if there's any payout yeah did you see somebody on uh, Reddit it has edited them together in chronological order? Oh, 
Interesting. So there's still 12, like, half an hour episodes or whatever. Um, but, like, I've, I've only seen the first one. But the first one is just everything that happens on the boat, basically, on uh, the Queen Mary. And then I guess they're going to cut between them a lot more in the, in the next episodes. Um, I don't know. I will probably watch them all that way because I'm super fascinated to see. It's impossible to know whether they would have worked better because I haven't seen the... You know, I, I, I'm not watching these for the first time. Um, right. But I so mean, far, it's much more comprehensible. But I'm sure that all of the jokes that tie together won't tie together if they're in chronological order. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of it is lost that way. Yeah. And that was a lot of the charm of Arrested Development. Yeah. The, the callback jokes. Yeah. I don't know. I think, you know, it's it's it, we're in kind of an not an era right now. It's too early to call it an era. But... Um, we're in this moment right now where we, the fans on the internet do have enough power that it seems like we're able to get stuff back that we really want. You know, like, we yeah. can stage a big protest and get community back on the air. We can uh, donate to a Kickstarter and get a Veronica Mars movie. We can get Netflix to put Arrested Development back together 10 or whatever years after it went off. And that's good. But I also think that sometimes people don't really understand, like, they're, they're thinking, like, with their hearts instead of with their heads, and they're not really picturing what that's going to look like. What does an Arrested Development reunion look like when Michael Sarah is almost 30 instead of almost 20? Like, it's, it's, it's never going to be the original thing again. You know what I mean? And so... I, I don't know. I worry a little bit. Like, we're so focused on, like, everybody hates this trend of, like, reboots and remakes and stuff in Hollywood. But it seems like when it comes to stuff that we love, we're more than happy to see reboots or sequels or uh, returns or reunions. Or and, and sometimes it works. Sometimes it works really well. I think it works really well with Serenity. Um, and I think it works reasonably well here. But I also think that sometimes the thing that gets put back in front of you and that you're told is the thing that you love doesn't feel like the thing that you really loved anymore that's Mm -hmm. how what i thought about community we talked about that a couple months ago my opinion on that was pretty unchanged by the end of the season um and i think that's how a little bit how you feel uh with this i feel i feel like maybe i'm being more negative i'm being more negative than i actually feel about it and i feel like there's just a certain amount of pressure for me to to be critical of this mm-hmm. rather than just give it a pass. And so maybe I'm being overly critical. Mm. You know? Because expectations were so high. Mm-hmm. But I think that's kind of what I, I tried, to like consciously tried to kind of reset that going in to be like, this is not going to be like what I think is the best season ever as a development season two where they're just hitting on every single beat everywhere um you know it's gonna it's gonna be a little bit unstable but it it actually i thought was better than i feared that it would be one of my favorite things that they did introduce into this though was um christian uh, wig and seth rogan as young george and lucille bluth see i really liked christian wig but i thought seth rogan was a little uh flat Mm, maybe christian wig was just in it more yeah she was I, you know, I didn't. I didn't think that they were 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 fantastic. I thought Kristen Wiig was pretty good, and Seth Rogen was okay. I didn't think that they were fantastic. I thought that they were fine, and I thought that the concept was. Yeah, what I loved. What I loved was young Barry Zuckercorn. Oh yeah, Max, Max Winkler is young Barry Zuckercorn, and actually, "Take to the Sea" might be my like favorite catchphrase from the new season. <laughs> This is so funny. <laughs> and this one episode, I forget whose episode it is, but at the very end, like, regular Barry, like, Henry Winkler, is, like, just at the last frame. He's just like, kick to the sea! And just, like, cuts to black. <laughs> uh, I love that. I, 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 I did enjoy all those scenes of George and Lucille and then... Barry's young Barry Zuckercorn and his father who's like <laughs> who just doesn't care <laughs> super embarrassed of his son but like doesn't want to correct him like, like uh, in front uh, of all yeah, people yeah. yeah oh what I did think was really weird was how nonchalant they had 
Tracy Bluth in that one scene. Yeah, because uh, uh, what do you mean nonchalant? I mean, it's just like I feel like the fact that we finally see Michael's now dead wife. Like there's there should have been something more to it than a, a joke that George Michael grew up listening to a woodblock time or whatever. Yeah, they did just kind of throw her in there. I forgot about that. It's, I mean, I feel like that, that, that should have been a bigger deal than it was. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about how Michael, you know, he was kind of like our moral compass for the, for the beginning of the, you know, all throughout the first three uh, seasons. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting because I did watch the last episode of the third season in preparation for watching this. And the last episode of the third season ends with uh, George Michael finding out that Job has slept with his then-girlfriend, Anne. And then the end of the fourth season, it turns out that it's actually Michael that slept with his then-girlfriend, Rebel. Mm. And... Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm I've been trying to sort out how I feel about the last like shot, you know, which basically is like George Michael like punches Punching, yeah. Michael in the face and then just walks away. And it really shows how much George Michael has kind of grown up since um the end of the previous season when, you know, he do- he doesn't really have the chance to get any sort of closure with Job in fact we see in the beginning of this one how he's just like no we're not good I mean I guess we're good and then Job just like kind of steamrolls right over the top of him and apparently they never speak of it again um but I don't know it also kind of makes me feel like they're saying that Michael is really no better than Job which is you're right is a much more uh a a downward turn from where they always presented that character in the first three seasons Mm mhm so I found that I found that last shot like surprisingly affecting. Like after a lot of um, a lot of the episodes where it's pretty much only focused on the comedy, they did have that genuine moment like they used to have where they, you know, they they hit you right in the gut with the emotional content. But I don't know if it was good. It, it seemed like like the the last series ended like you know everybody was going to jail and you know. Uh, it, uh, Lucille was stealing the boat and everything like that, but it was like a little bit optimistic feeling because you had Michael and George Michael together, father and son, like sailing off uh, in the boat to Mexico. Um, and I'm not really sure how I feel about this one. It seems much more pessimistic that it's like, yeah, not only did they actually not take that trip to Mexico ever, but, you know, four years later, they're actually just punching each other in the face and, uh, Right. And totally kind of destroying their relationship. So, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. It it seems uh, like George Michael and Michael have been the primary relationship in this show going all the way back to the first season of the first episode where they're like, what if I always say the most important thing? Breakfast, you know? Right. Um, and uh, now we don't have that anymore. So I don't know where that leaves us. Um, I think you're right. That That last scene, it's... It's jarring, and I think it it does what they wanted it to. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if that was a good decision. I mean, I wonder if it sets it up for the uh, movie. I wonder if the movie's going to be about them kind of trying to repair... It it almost has to be. ...what remains of their relationship. It, it almost certainly has to be. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about Primer a little bit. Um, I had seen Primer a couple years ago, but I feel like I kind of half-watched it, like, you know, over the top of my computer or something, and enjoyed it, but, like, didn't actually understand or really even try to understand what was happening. Um, But I I knew how complicated of a movie it kind of purports to be, so this time, uh, when I watched it, I, I, like, put away everything and, like, really, really, really focused on... uh, the movie. I'm not sure I understood anymore, but I did appreciate a lot more about the film. Um, and one of the things I think is interesting that I want to talk to you a little about in particular first is that, of course, it's kind of the probably maybe the best ever attempt that there will ever be to realistically depict how time travel would work. And I want to talk about that a little bit 
later because the first maybe third of the movie, the first 25 minutes or so, is actually like probably the most accurate representation of how actual engineering works that I've ever seen in a movie. Like it's not like crazy scientists or, you know, Hulk and uh Hulk and uh and Iron Man like moving stuff around on glowy screens on board the Avengers or whatever. Um it's like a bunch of guys and after work like in their um garage like talking in bewilderingly technical terms and getting in huge arguments over things that n- most people don't even understand and i love that i actually ended up loving that part of the movie like their weird dynamics and their like totally incomprehensible dialogue about these circuit boards that you use to test currents or something i'm not mm-hmm. even really sure what they're supposed to do um and I just I, I, even putting aside the whole before they even kind of accidentally invent this time machine, I just love uh, that that that's such a realistic um, depiction of of how that process actually works um, with all of its acronyms and uh, jargon and everything uh, uh, you know uh, kept in, in there for for our benefit. Right. Um, uh, wh- what's your takeaway from this movie overall? Like, wh- wh- you know, I, I'm, had you seen it before? I don't remember. Um, no, this was this was my well first and second time viewing it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, you did watch it twice. I did end up watching it twice. Did it help? Um, yeah. Well, I, I read a lot about it online mm-hmm. to try and to break it down and get an understanding of it. Um, I think. Um. Well, you're you're right. I do really um, that that first act of that movie where they're just uh, like talking in their own sort of uh, language about what they, what they either they're trying to build or they want to build as far as engineering projects goes mm-hmm. uh, as creates a certain serious atmosphere. That's that's great and accurate, mm-hmm. but the fact that it's one already so difficult to understand, and then I, a big problem was the low production value mm-hmm. of this movie. The sound is horrible. <laughs> so I like even if I knew, um, like if you, if I could understand what they were talking about, oftentimes I couldn't hear the the actual words coming out of their mouth mm. because. The sound was so bad. What did you watch it on? I mean, like, were you wearing headphones? Was it on a computer? No, I was on. I was on streaming Netflix on my TV. That was interesting. I also watched it on Netflix, and I didn't have a huge problem with the sound. Although I did notice all kinds of artifacts and stuff where they obviously had like a poor film transfer, or were just shooting on like a, you know, like the, the visual quality of the movie is also pretty poor. As well, as kind of to be expected from a movie that was shot for like seven grand. Yeah, and um, yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, yeah. But like, sorry. Um, I'd even I'd been reading like while they were editing it, they realized that a lot of the the sound footage that they had was not usable, and they had to redub things. Mm-hmm. And I I think they need to redub more things. <laughs> I think that's probably true. It's a movie that definitely succeeds despite and not uh, because of its production values. Like this is not a this is not a Terrence Malick film or a you know a, a, some kind of beautiful to look at movie. It's like ugly. Even it's sometimes like intentionally ugly. Like it's really kind of fluorescent lighting everywhere. Right. There are certain decisions that are made to create an atmosphere, but there are also certain decisions made simply because of limitations yeah so other than like that kind of once it moves out of that part of the film the first act or so and into the kind of mind fucking time travel portion of it um is when i think that's probably the part that most people remember it's shockingly short in terms of real time um, yeah because it's not a very long movie it's only like a 70 minute long movie and i think that they don't even invent time travel for half an hour and I probably don't think they actually go back in time as a person until about 40 minutes in. So it's really not that much time where they're moving around. And except that later you find out that 
you know, of course, some of the scenes that you've seen them in before they start time traveling are actually doubles of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that that's where watching it again really helps. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking, like, the first time that scene goes by, like, why does he have a headphone in? That's really weird. And then, you know, later in the movie, oh, I see. Like, he's listening to the conversation so he knows what to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my biggest problem with the movie is that it, it pulls this marvelous trick where it makes you think so hard about what's actually happening in terms of the plot, who's doing what, how it's happening. You know, at times doubling back on itself as flashbacks to things that happened in the past. Like, it gets you thinking so hard about the form of it that you uh, don't really think about the underlying character motivations very much. Um, but if you do, you quickly come to the realization that these guys are assholes. Oh, yeah. Like, they're horrible human beings, and they have no uh, concept of the power of the thing that they created. And the entire, besides manipulating the stock market, the entire thing that they try so hard to set up, that they travel back in time so many times to, you know, get perfectly, uh, uh, you know, perfectly in sync is so that he can kind of rush in and become the hero in this incident that happened at a party to impress a girl who's, like, not even his wife. Right. Uh, and so, like, once he, once I kind of realized that in thinking back on the actual plot of the movie, I was like, wait, what were these guys trying to do this whole time? And then I was just like, wait a minute, that's horrible. That's, <laughs> that's, not, a, that's not a good movie at all. So I, I think that if it would have present this in a more straightforward way, you'd realize, like, hey, like... This, this is bullshit, but because it's kind of this misdirection thing where you're thinking so hard about just what happened that once you figure it out, you don't really think about it in any kind of moral way. You're just a little bit proud of yourself for actually figuring it out. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, I, I think that's really where the movie falls apart to me and where you can see kind of the fact that uh, the writer-director, Shane Carruth, like, was not... Uh, uh, um, you know, a screenwriter or a director before this. He was, I think, an engineer, actually. Yeah. Um, Although, I mean, I, I kind of disagree with you there. I think um, the it's sort of the biggest uh, theme of the movie, um, time travel aside, is that they're not great people. And that's why, at the end of the movie, they've sort of fallen apart. Yeah, and and I get that, but I have to feel like even these guys, if they were to actually have invented this, would immediately recognize that it has uses way beyond what they're trying to do. Um, I don't know. I just I didn't really I didn't really buy the whole the whole you know party like the whole party scene is where it really just falls apart for me. No, you're right. That that part does seem a little weird. Yeah, and like it, I, it's hard to understand why they're so motivated. Yeah, to like, get it why right. Why is the other guy helping him with this? Why is he even trying to do it? You know, we never see. Like they they sort of they 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 sort of blatantly say it that like they want this girl. Yeah, but like it just it it falls short because that's just them saying it. And I think it's weird that we never meet the girl. We don't really understand, like, her relationship to either of the guys. Like, I think she's supposed to be Abe's girlfriend, right? Yes. But then Aaron, the other guy, is the one who wants to be the hero. Right. And he is already married with a kid Yeah, to that other person that you see once or twice yeah but you basically see like her hips as she like walks past like the people who are seated on the couch yeah rachel the girl at the party um it's her dad right that who's the guy who they want to invest in the thing and who is sort of the who for some reason goes into the machine yeah he's like a maybe like a test like guy? i guess did they test maybe, like to figure like, out how long you, you could go did back you want to try it before investing in it or something i don't know but but that was sort of the catalyst for them to realize just how dangerous this is yeah 
and then that's kind of where everything comes unraveled. Yeah. When you, yeah. I think of it kind of like a birthday present that's like wrapped in a really, really, really intricate knot. And so like the movie is like the process of like undoing this knot, but then like once it's undone and you understand like what's in the box, it turns out that it's not actually a birthday present, but instead it's just like a piece of coal or something. Like <laughs> I feel like once you understand what's happening in the movie, it becomes a dramatically less interesting movie. So the only reason the movie is interesting is because you can't understand what's happening. You know what I mean? Like it, and right. it, it doesn't seem like you 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 felt exactly the same way because you know you you found a little bit more to go off of when the breakdown of their relationship. And I think the problem for me too is that even at the beginning of the film, they don't seem particularly close. No, like they're they're kind of grumpy with one another the whole time. But I, I I do think you're right that the appeal of this movie is sort of figuring it out. And I think that was a large appeal of actually our Donnie Darko last week yeah. too. Yeah. Um, both of these films are sort of presented as puzzles to piece together and it's kind of nice you know most most films work on a emotional level better than they work on a uh, uh intellectual level and i guess it's kind of nice to have a movie that doesn't try to paper over the intellectual parts or or seem smarter than it is like it really this movie is as smart as it seems i mean yeah this is this is all cerebral yeah exactly and so but that also makes it quite cold i think yeah because I, I don't feel anything about any of the people in this movie yeah yeah i feel a little bit sorry for abe for some reason he seems uh-huh. a little bit like the manipulated naif and the other guy aaron seems really like the kind of cold asshole who you're right. i mean it all yeah forward. it does that is true to a certain degree yeah um abe sort of blindly stumbled into this and then aaron sort of took it out from under him yeah when he uh, ruined that uh, failsafe. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron switches the failsafe. Also, how weird is it to take a time machine with you into a time machine? <laughs> like that? What, what kind of mind fuck is that? I also just really like the mechanism of the time travel in here. You know, the idea that you have to spend as much time in the box as you want to go backwards. And it um, has to be preset for that amount of time. Exactly. Too. Like, I just, I like how, like, shitty it is. You know, like, usually time travel is like, ooh, let me press a button here on my watch. Boom, now I'm back in time. Or, like, let me accelerate to 88 miles an hour. Poof, now I'm back in time. And this one's like, nope, it's boring. It's claustrophobic. You have to breathe this, like, uh, sedative-laced air. And maybe your eardrum just starts bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was weird. Um, so I, I kind of liked that uh, it's a it's a dirty technology and it's not refined and it's really unpleasant for the people who have to uh, experience it. As it probably would be. As it probably would be. Yeah. So and and just intellectually, the way that the time travel works here um, seems very well thought out. I mean, it, you it know, makes a sort of pseudo sense exactly if you take it as a given that this thing can move backwards in time then it makes a sort of it makes a sort of like uh you're right intuitive sense in the same way that like you can record a tape off the radio but you can't record the tape any faster than the song plays on the radio like that's the analogy that i kept thinking about when i realized that they have to be in the box for the same amount of time that the the amount of time that they want to go back because that's when the box was turned on and it's just like oh yeah right yeah sort of (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i mean i think this is a really great movie i think it's a really great experiment um even though it's kind of weird to watch a movie and realize at the end that you don't really care what happens to any of the people or really want to spend any more time with them right it it is it's sort of yeah yeah the opposite of how you watch a movie and they kind of accomplished their main goal that they were talking about for the whole movie they kind of accomplished it in the in the you know toward the end of the film but you didn't the first on first viewing you didn't really realize it so it's like their big mode of triumph is like just kind of like you know just kind of moves past you if you don't understand what's happening Mm. yeah so 
I do think it would be interesting to see a primer two with uh, Aaron and all those French guys. I guess. I mean, I just felt like I I didn't understand why that scene was there. No, I mean, I don't really know what they're gonna do by like transporting all these people back in time, or like you know large amounts of people. But I did like the idea that uh, you know they didn't just let this they didn't just let this technology go. Oh, that I was mean, the other that was the other kind of engineering thing about it that I really liked is that as soon as they realize what they've done, like they've just invented time travel, and their first thought is like. Hey, we can publish. We can publish. And it's like, you just invented fucking time travel. <laughs> you I, got way yeah. more important things to think about. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anything else on Primer? Um, I don't. Not the movie itself. I do, but I do think um, it's. A nice sort of look at how a movie can actually be almost entirely just about science fiction. Yeah, that's very true. There's no action here. There's no like fight scenes or anything like that. Like it's all about this one invention and this one idea. And I mean that that's the that's that's literally the only strength of this film. I think Mm -hmm. is 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 uh the like the resolute uh sort of cohesive idea of what what um Caruth set out to write down cuz like it's it's clearly not the production as we talked about the acting is not great mhm cuz these guys don't know what they're doing as far as acting goes yeah they're, they're kind of just there moving the story forward it's all about sort of time travel it's nice to see a film engage with an idea like that seriously and even films that have time travel at the center of the plot are usually not uh really they're just it's just there for setup instead of they're not actually about the technology itself um even a movie like like uh, you know like Looper has a, a little bit of which is ostensibly all about time travel, even in the name. Um, it has a little bit of this kind of hyperactivity where it doesn't really just want to stay on this one topic, and it kind of veers into a story about telekinesis by the end. Yeah, and um, it, and it's also clearly about uh, like. The uh, the characters mm-hmm. and the and, interactions and stuff like and, that, and like this, the especially like the sense of loss that you have, uh, like uh, the Bruce Willis character losing uh, his wife in what was it China? I don't even remember now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it was like China, and uh, that super powerful telekinetic kid watching his mom die yeah there's none of that here we don't get any backstory we don't get the sense that these guys are particularly attached to anybody and unlike in a movie like looper where the main point is like stopping this guy from killing the child like the main point of the main goal that these characters have in this movie is seriously like they want to look cool at a party i mean even more so i think the, the point of this movie is just they want to see what happens when they travel through time. Yeah, when they, like, mess mess stuff up. Like, from the very beginning, you know, even though Abe kind of pays lip service to the idea that they shouldn't be altering the timeline, like, they're both super interested in the idea of altering the timeline. They're always watching their other selves. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, and they, they know, like, it that should be a bad idea. Yeah. Anyway... No, great, great movie. What are we watching next week? Do we have anything else on the? Do- is this our last movie? That was the last movie of from our list, I think. Okay, right. So we got a couple suggestions um, that we should probably talk about. One of them, at least. Uh, so I get. I think next week the the consensus is we have to watch Time Cop. 
It it really does seem like it, doesn't it? Okay, we got a lot of we got a lot of suggestions for Time Cop, which is a movie that I have never seen. So, I saw it uh, many years ago. I'm I'm interested to see that one. I think that one, that one's a good one for next week. We got a couple other responses, um, none of which had that kind of uni- unanimity behind them. So I'm not really sure what to do for our other slot. The only other thing I thought, well. I know your brother had mentioned uh, Star Trek, right? Yeah, and I would love, don't get me wrong, I would love to talk about one of the Star Trek movies that involves time travel. Well, okay, so consider this a call to arms, people. Like, if you don't want to listen to us talk about Star Trek again, like, submit another movie about time travel. Otherwise, I think we're going to go with it by default. I'm, like, really jealous. I remember talking to Ariel at one point, who is also kind of like you, maybe more with music than with other things. Um, and he was like, uh, you know, we're talking about some band, and I was like, oh, man, there's all kinds of bands that I used to like that I don't like anymore. And he was like, really? I, pr- I think I pretty much still like all the music I have ever liked. And I was like, that is so not true for me. Otherwise, I would still be listening to way more Hoobastank. <laughs> 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 so yeah 